the formal part of the reflection, as we would say in our tradition. Uh, since this is the new year, uh, uh, on two of the three books I've written about the Dhamma, I, for some torturous reason that I can't quite imagine why, I created year-long reflections. So for Dancing with Life, which is literally what this is, it's Dancing with Life with the Understanding of the Four Noble Truths, and my book Emotional Chaos to Clarity, you can go on to my website, dharmawisdom.org, or just Google me and you can find it that way, and you can sign up and get a free year-long program where you get a small piece, like four or five lines of the book, and then you get a two or three line reflection for that week. And it's a way to stay in the Dhamma all year long. It doesn't cost you anything. There's no extra thing. You can, and they're quick, it's short. And um, I, there's been many thousands of people do this through the years. And um, you're welcome to see if, if that sounds like that would help you in your year then um, feel free to do so, dharmawisdom.org. So, uh, as we began the formal part of the talk, and welcome back to all of those of you who are streaming, I want to begin with uh, a resolution, since this is the time of resolutions. This is the resolution from the Aditana, and this is a quote from the Buddha. There are four resolves. The resolve for wisdom, the resolve for truth, the resolve for generosity, and the resolve for peace. I, I take peace as equanimity. One should not neglect wisdom, should preserve truth, should cultivate generosity, and should train in peace train in equanimity. Repeating, there are four resolves. The resolve for wisdom, the resolve for truth, the resolve for generosity, and the resolve for peace. One should not neglect wisdom, should preserve truth, should cultivate generosity, and should train in peace. So there's a Buddhist perspective for us to reflect on. This is the month of January, and January comes from uh, uh, this uh, uh, Greek god Janus, which uh, is characterized by standing at the threshold, leaving one room, or leaving from outside, pictured both ways, but standing at the threshold. So not where they were, but not where they're going to be, but right there in that threshold. And uh, it, it's, it's, the God is pictured as having two faces, a face looking forward and a face looking backwards. And at that threshold moment, we haven't fully committed to this upcoming, this next moment, this next period of our time this year, but we're not in the past either, but we are still can feel the past. We can feel what we're bringing in to this new year. 
and we have, we can see what we're anticipating. We can also notice that in terms of pleasant and unpleasant, and our thoughts about it all. So uh, a reflection in terms of that that it's 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 usefulness of being in between here. Give yourself a little time of being in between. One way that I have over the years for myself uh, uh, become present for being interested, available, reflective about, okay, where am I? What's next? How do I catch up with myself? How can I be current, being not in the old version of me, just going ahead to the new, but rather, who's present now? What, what's the set of conditions? What's the understanding? And so forth, it's present right now. And I'm tonight uh, going to experiment with you, you doing this. And I'm going to uh, uh, suggest three different questions or reflections for your consideration and see how you answer this. What uh, I would often do is I would sit down and say, okay, what's my question? What's my question? And I'd sit there till something came. And oftentimes a bunch of things would come and so I'd write them all down and then I'd keep looking at those and say, well, okay, which of these is, is the real question? Which, which of these questions have resonance? And so I would be current with myself, you see? So I'm sort of uh, creating a framework for you to work that way, but I'm, I'm introducing the, the areas of questions for you and see what you come up with. You will come up with your question for each of these three areas. And uh, I don't, it's embarrassing how little I know about technology. But can you type on your phone? Well, of course you can, because you can be in airplane mode, and you could still type in a question, right? Okay, so if you have your phone and you want to do that, not yet, but when uh, you'll know when it comes. So um, uh, then you're welcome to do that, but make sure it's on airplane mode. So uh, uh, to approach questions like this is to evoke our own wisdom, to be available both to the wisdom of the head center, that thinking function that, that judges, evaluates, makes plans, you know, weighs back and forth. That's a kind of wisdom. And it's a very important source of wisdom. A second source of wisdom is the wisdom of the heart. And so we want, uh, it is incumbent on us, it is a skillful means to more and more to include the heart's wisdom in our life. You would think that you do that already, and maybe you do and maybe you don't. Maybe your heart's much more organized around pleasant and unpleasant because that's what you're looking for unconsciously if you think of the heart. 
But the heart's much more deep-seated than that. The heart cares based on its values. It's, it's caring, not so much on whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. That's why people do all sorts of things, because they care that are actually quite unpleasant to do. So you can know that for yourself. So the wisdom of the head center, the wisdom of the heart, and then the wisdom of intuition, that's the body's intuition, uh, most associated with that area about oh, an inch and a half below the belly button, the, the, that's uh, the hara, the tanya, and all this, the different languages for it. But there's the whole body is involved in intuition. And such wisdom and in intuition, such wisdom. Oftentimes, what appears to be true, because your mind's thinking a certain way or it's listening to what someone else has said is true, that you don't, uh, that you just go with it and then you realize that's just not, was, well, it wasn't right for me or no, that wasn't even true. They were confused or deluded or had uh, manipulative intent. And so one of the places that you feel this is intuitively. You just intuitively go, this isn't right. Something's a little off here. The more one pays attention to our intuition, the more it will volunteer itself to be known. I've had decades of working with people around this, including uh, a lot of leadership seminars. Uh, most leaders think they're very smart, but what they all are interested in, and when I say all, I mean like 80%, is how do I get more intuition? And uh, you get more intuition by practicing intuition and by being embodied. So the more you stay in your body, the more you're going to have access to that intuition. That's another talk entirely. So, um, the, the, so for here we're staying embodied, and we're interested in all three of our wisdom centers as we answer the question. So the first of the questions is, what is it within you that needs to be let go of? What is it within you? that needs to be let go of. So just close your eyes for a moment and think about that. It could be an old story. It could be anger. It could be an if only. It could be a belief. It could be an identity, a past love, a pattern of behavior. It could be self-hatred. It could be this wanting, wanting to want always thinking that you need more or that just that, that the purpose of life is wanting and trying to get what you want. It could be anything. I would not have a clue for you what it would be. What is it within you that needs to be let go of? of you at home, please be doing this as well. And if I could have the volunteers get some microphones, please. How many microphones do we have, too? 
So, uh, what came to mind for someone? If you're willing to share. Right here, down here, please. Thank you for being the first to volunteer. He's coming. And you hold the mic like an ice cream cone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Self-sufficiency. That that I'm perfectly self-sufficient. Oh, that's excellent. (laughs) How did it feel to name that? Scared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Buddha taught interdependence. Thich Nhat Hanh says we enter our. And a good reflection on that is the food we eat. How many people have helped create the food that we have available to us? And like you realize just to eat, there's so many people you're dependent on. And at a stop sign, that when people stop at a stop sign, because it's a stop sign, but there's that agreement, so that you're already... Like letting loose of self-sufficient is more immediate like in your life. But if you think about it, you're already tied in in this way. It's the reason I say those things to you. So thank you. Someone else? Letting go of the the fears and angers of things that I can't directly change. So letting go of the fears and angers that you can't directly change. Thank you. Someone else? He's coming. I was self-conscious to share, but I thought that's all the more reason. Um, A sense of lack. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. That's such a common one, this sense of lack. And it can take the form of not good enough or missing something or all of these different variations of it. And usually there's kind of a story around it too. Thank you. And then the gentleman in front. Letting go of approval seeking and feeling as though I need to receive love in order to be loved. Yes, approval seeking and feeling as though one needs to to, uh, feel love, receive love in order to feel love. Heartache. Heartache, yes. Yes, I had that on my list of heartache. <laughs> Thank you. That's So uh, the Venerable Ajahn Sumedho, who is my teacher whom I was just with in October in Thailand, um, he uh, describes how for two years his entire practice was letting go. And what he would say over and over again, whatever came up, whether there was any viewer opinion or all of this turmoil, he would just do let go, let go, let go. And when he says that's what he did, his integrity is such that is what he did for two years. And that it became natural that he developed this capacity of letting go. Letting go is a mental capacity that involves the heart and the head and the intuition. So one learns how to let go. The challenge of of letting go is our habits because habits are so ingrained 
And the earlier they got formed, the more ingrained they are. That we're, we're having to fight that habit. We also have to fight the habit, the uh, tendency of homeostasis. The tendency of any system to return to its original state. And if we've been, uh, if we've been holding on to a story for 10 years or 20 years, uh, whether a pleasant story, but then we lost that, what we had, or an unpleasant, uh, it's become ingrained. It's got a, it's got its own state of being in the psyche, and it just takes time for that to let loose. So one, if one's going to, uh, answer this question of that, of letting go, whatever it is you come up with, then it is it is a repetitive letting go, letting go now, letting go in the next moment, you know, an hour later, let go. When these conditions arise and it comes up, this clinging, let go, let go. So uh, part of the challenge is that our identity can be uh, this very thing we need to let go of. So who would I be if I wasn't this person that had this difficult experience? I've identified with it. I, on uh, retreats, I'll often uh, talk about the, uh, use an example. You know, this practice has really helped me. I, I used to be like, uh, like, uh, you know, my regret was like this sore thumb, but now I really don't have that regret. I just don't have that sore thumb. Make whack. <laughs> In which we actually grab back on something that we've actually let loose of because it's such an identity. So that's part of the challenge of letting go. Likewise, sometimes it's not so comfortable, that stage in between, that being at the threshold of letting go. So we're not, we're not uncomfortable in our clinging anymore to whatever it is that we've identified to let go of, but we haven't let go yet. So like January, like the god Janus, we are, we are at the, we're in the between. We're both looking back and forward, but we've not, we're in between. Getting used to that and knowing that that's normal, that's part of learning how to let go. Give you many more challenges, but we got so much ground to cover. The support, uh, and again, there would be a long list of support for letting go, but one that the Buddha teaches in the First Noble Truth, which there in Dance With Life, is to see the suffering, to see the unsatisfactoriness of clinging. That it's unsatisfactory. It's, it's not bringing any ongoing happiness. It's not forward leading and feeling like we are developing in that area, in that capacity. And then compassion. It's tough to let go because we have to be present for what we're letting go of. We can't theoretically let go. We have to feel it be one with it, and then we let go. It's not comfortable for a long time if it's really like a charged thing in us. And another thing that helps is this clarity. I know what I am committed to. I'm clear about uh, its general dimensions. Don't have to know all the dimensions because you'd spend forever clarifying and never get on with it. But I am clear as to why my motivative, my motivation, and the wholesomeness of my motivation in letting go. You might not think that would make that much difference, but it does, and it will for you. And then good old humility. 
let me hear not of the accomplishments of old men, but of their humility. Humility is endless. T.S. Eliot. Humility means that if we are sloppy in letting go, if we fail a bunch of times in letting go, we forget about letting go, we accept that that's the way it is for us. We are not inflated about how well we're going to do. Nor are we inflated about, oh, other people could let go, but letting go of this, there's nothing as hard as this to let go of. That's a kind of inflated specialness. My misery is more, more special than your misery. So this is, I liked all this smiles, a lot of recognition there. That's great. <laughs> You're far along, grasshopper. <laughs> so the challenge, the support, and then the gain. This gain that comes from letting go, whatever it is that you identified as to what you would let go of, is the here and now experience. You, the more you let go of that which is separating you from being in this very moment, the more you are in the moment in terms of the number of times you're in the moment, which is where you're alive, is only this moment. The waste, sad time of before and after. This moment, here and now. You are here in this moment, in this way. And um, you, you stay longer in it. You're there longer periods of time. You're present. But the, the richest part of it is how full the experience is when we let loose of that which blocking us in some aspect of our lives. The experience gets richer. And I don't mean like just more pleasant. I mean more textured, more depth, more resonance, more thereness. Here, authentic. You feel that? So that's a that's a, 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 a lofty reward, a worthy reward, worthy fruits of our actions using mindfulness and compassion and intention and all the rest of the Dharma and all the other tools that you're uh, at your uh, it's available to you. So, and maybe that's it for you. Maybe that's your question. And you would just stay with that question. It's, um, um, that's enough. Uh, I'm going to, I do, I did three questions because, first of all, that's what I would do. I would, I would kind of look and look for three questions. But secondly, that's the most questions that we can really hold in our head, in my experience. That's a lot, and really work with in a year. And then um, uh, the third reason for doing this is that may not have resonated with you, this, this, um, this thing about what is it that needs to be, that you need to let go of. One other thing to say about this letting go, this is a poem by James, Jane Hirschfield here in Marin. It's called optimism. More and more, I have come to admire resilience. More and more, I have come to admire resilience. Not the simple resistance of a pillow where foam returns over and over to the same shape, but the sinuous tenacity of a tree. Finding the light newly blocked on one side, it turns to another. 
a blind intelligence true. But out of such persistence arose turtles, rivers, mitochondria, figs, all their resinous, unretractable earth. So, as we learn to let go, one of the fruits is this buoyancy, I call it, but this resilience, so that when the difficult comes, we, we, have, a, we have something that absorbs it because our, the very presence, the not having to hold things off, not being f- afraid of anything, it gives a kind of resilience, a kind of buoyancy that allows us to roll through the moment like the duck with the water coming off the back. So letting go as a question. The second question for you, if you choose to choose it as your mission impossible, is what is to be cultivated? What within you is to be cultivated? It could be a practice. Oh, I want to practice uh, my mindfulness. It could be an attitude. I want to have a, a, a more receptive attitude towards whatever, more optimism even. Or it could be what are called the, one of the paramis or these attainments. These They're called perfections like patience and persistence and generosity and truth. There's a whole list of characteristics that the Buddha stressed. And they, they were later lumped together to be called the paramis. It could be uh, uh, that what you want to cultivate is renunciation, that there's too much drinking, too much eating, too much gossiping, too much being critical of yourself, too much being critical of another, that, that, you, that you wish to renounce something. And it's, there's a de- deliberate saying no in that way. That's what needs to be cultivated, is the ability uh, to uh, renounce. Or it could be a kind of claiming of self-respect that you want to cultivate your own respecting yourself. Or it could be that you're wanting to cultivate your voice, having your voice, knowing what your voice is, claiming your voice among your friends or at work or in your family of origin or with your significant other. Anything. I would have no idea what you would say what do I need? What needs to be cultivated? What do I need to be cultivated? So what needs to be cultivated? Again, just taking a moment. Okay, let's hear if we get a few more volunteers. Not the same person who's volunteered before, but here's one right here. Um, like an ice cream cone, hold it more up. Right. It, you, you said it, uh, you helped me by uh, talking about cultivating my voice. I, I feel I have a, a space, uh, not a welcome one, between how I talk in the world and how I live inside. Mm. So I would like to be able to bring that forth in some way. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. And as you, as these are shared, you see, it creates a, a reflection for everybody else in the room. And we also learn to like 
how, how to approach questions like this because until you've done it a few times, it's, it's not the usual sort of resolutions or anything. And I've done this since my early 20s. That this every, actually it was more than once a year for most of my life. It was uh, two or three times a year. So the gentleman behind. Uh, yes, I'd like to uh, cultivate clarity, uh, which uh, I find myself sometimes scattered and confused. And I would like to be able to be clear more, more than I often am. Yeah. So cultivating clarity and, and responding to confusion, if that's what's arose, with clarity around confusion. Oh, this is confusion. And then starting over, all the different ways one, one can do that. One more. He's coming, but this, well. No, he's, it's okay. Thank you. Uh, Cultivating patience with myself and patience with those around me. That's huge. Oh. (laughs) That's huge. Um, all those these uh, character traits that I call them character traits building of character uh, there's two that go together so well which is patience and what's usually referred to as resolve but I use persistence for when we have when we cultivate patience and persistence patience uh, means that we're able to tolerate uh, you know, when we're, it's not going well and when we get lost and so forth, persistence gives us this ability to uh, keep trying. You become unstoppable in a certain way. Because if you, if you get defeated, you just start again. You get knocked off, you just get back on track. And you're patient, so you don't give up on yourself. You're patient. How long is it going to take for this change? As long as it takes. That's the power of those two together. That's what the Buddha understood in relation to our practice and insight and this movement towards freedom. So not a small thing at all in this way. And again, whether you know it or not, uh, uh, this is a mode of reflection. These questions are a mode of reflection. And so you're just doing the exercise tonight. You can do this at home or with a friend, like, what is my question? What is my question? You know, and it might not be any of the three that I'm doing, but you're 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 learning to relate to yourself in a in a more serious way and a more practical way that then also brings in the mystery of all of this, because sometimes in the question there's revealed what's mysterious for you. So what is it that needs to be cultivated? And what is the challenge of that? Um, the inertia, it's we have inertia so we don't cultivate. We want to cultivate, but we don't cultivate. Um, I've been teaching about something called the gap. And there's three gaps that happen in our, um, in our uh, 
use of mindfulness. I'm not going to describe those tonight, but I just gave a talk last night at Marin Sangha and here in Marin, Marin Sangha, and it'll be on their website in a week or so when they get around to putting it up. So you can read all about the gap. But this inertia is part of that creating a gap. Another thing that is a challenge is we get fear about cultivating. And that fear is uh, very complex. Very complex. Sometimes it's that um, uh, we don't think we can do it and we're going to have to face our inadequacy. If one just assumes one's inadequate already, that helps. (laughs) That goes back to the humility. Uh, But there's also fear of succeeding. And this is one that's often overlooked. We don't necessarily want to be all we can be. We don't. We don't know what will be asked of us. We don't know what parts that we've kind of been sloppy about in our life won't, won't feel right. It's like if you put new cabinets in the kitchen, then the other part of the kitchen suddenly looks more shabby. As we, as we uh, uh, cultivate uh, one, one aspect of ourselves, then the other aspects kind of, oh, this too, uh, needing attention and all. And also in terms of our relationship with ourself and our relationship with others, it can really change as we've cultivated this new capacity. Just to give you examples of challenges, and that may not be years. And then another challenge is we're cultivating something but we're not in a very supportive environment. Uh, sanghas here and around the Bay Area, around the country, uh, having like-minded people really helps with that. And uh, uh, having something that uh, is inspiring to you, listening to a Dhamma talk that inspires you or reading a poem that inspires you or a memory or an image of something, uh, just uh, seeing the the, the uh, image, the, the Buddha is a symbol, the, the symbol of your own ability to know what's needed and to respond. So any kinds of, whatever would be an image for you. And then this idea of faith that there's a, I don't know that I can cultivate this in a way that it's going to show some results, something that's onward leading, not an end result. You're not practicing results, you're practicing practice. But uh, it requires a faith, it may be true, so I'm going to find what is true by committing myself to it. So often we want a guarantee. We want a guarantee. And then this, uh, the uh, the uh, this uh, this support comes in our willingness to start over, and like we did tonight with the practice and so forth. Then the gain, the gain that we get from this is a sense of purpose. Having as we're cultivating something, our lives are organized around some inner core. We also uh, uh, are connecting to a, a, a kind of aliveness, a kind of um, uh, just plugging into life in a way that we can, we can, we can be being good people, nice to our family and friends, and not causing any extreme overt harm. But we're really not alive to ourselves, and this cultivation can bring that kind of aliveness. 
likewise, uh, uh, as we start to cultivate what, what, what needs to be cultivated, we inevitably start to be more of a values-based person. We're being value-based in the way we live. Rather than pleasant and unpleasant, rather than following other people's wants, it's our core values we're living from. It's values-based living. And mindfulness and compassion and intention all come into that. So um, uh, there's a kind of uh, self-respect that comes from our being authentic with ourselves around cultivation. Cultivation always involves exploration. And one of the explorations uh, is this, this uh, the way to say it, is that we're going into new territory. Again, we're at that threshold, then we step in. This is from uh, uh, Wendell Berry, the, the great Kentucky poet. Always in the wilderness, when you leave familiar ground and step off alone in a new place, there will be, along with the feelings of curiosity and excitement, a little nagging of dread. It is the ancient fear of the unknown, and it is your first bond with the wilderness you're going into. So important. When we move into change, it's a new area, it's a wilderness, we don't know it. It is the ancient fear of the unknown, and it is your first bond with the wilderness you're going into. What you're doing is exploring. You're undertaking the first experience, not of the place, but of yourself in that place. You see, when you start to open, to cultivate something new, it's not that new thing you're, that you're cultivating. It's you doing that cultivating. That's what's uh, often missed. We're, we're like, okay, so I'm going to d- develop more patience. So I'm thinking about patience and, oh, I'm having trouble with patience. No, that there, there's a relationship between you and what's being cultivated. That's what to notice, what to be kind towards, uh, patient with, the, uh, developing patience, all of that. What you're doing is exploring. You're undertaking the first experience, not of the place, but of yourself in that place. It is an experience of our essential loneliness. For nobody can discover the world for anybody else. It is an experience of our essential loneliness. For nobody can discover the world for anybody else. It is only after we have discovered it for ourselves that it becomes a common ground and a common bond. And we cease to be alone. And this is true. This is true. It's the way it is. Wendell Berry, those are going to come up and ask later. <laughs> and it's, it's um, I, I may have titled it Exploring, but it's from his uh, The Unforeseen Wilderness. Third question. What is it externally or internally or externally and internally that is to be accepted? What is it for you to accept in your world or inside you? Accept within your significant other? Accept within 
your career choice, accepted within your health situation, accepted within the time that you have to be alive, accepting the, uh, the uncertainty and the stress of our world. 2020, we're going to have a lot of uncertainty in our world. Is that what you need to accept? Because it's making you crazy. It's making you less than you are. You're becoming the very victim of, of the chaos, rather than, so therefore part of the chaos, rather than not. Uh, accepting that you, that you did not get something that you wanted, and it's too late to get that now. I've certainly had to do that one. It's accepting that uh, that that uh, there is dukkha in life, and you've never really totally bought into that. You kept going. If I just got this and that, then it would, the rest of it wouldn't bother me very much. And that's certainly not what the Buddha is saying. He's saying that unsatisfactoriness, that unreliability, the change of it, the inevitable change of it, that it's just interwoven. It's not that everything is dukkha. But it's interwoven to our life, and maybe maybe what you need to accept, or maybe it's that you need to accept that change is always going to be happening, and you never you never get to like take a break from it. There's always change. Some of it you like, some of it you don't. But just the nervous system feeling of change, change, change. That maybe it's uh, maybe it's that you accept that uh, yes, you you had really wanted to uh, learn a foreign language. But you're not going to do that because you actually have other priorities. So by holding on to it and finding yourself lazy or failing because you didn't learn the foreign language or to play the piano or uh, 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 dance the tango, and you're, but you realize I've lived my priorities. So I didn't get to do everything I wanted, but I've lived my priorities. And that's what you accept. I don't know what you're going to accept. But there's a wide range like that. So I've just taken a moment. What is it in your life that you need to accept? Either you or the way your significant other is so that you stop creating the turmoil of judging them. Or or your mother or your father or your son or daughter or your best friend. What is it you need to accept internally or externally? Okay. Again, anyone wish to uh, give us an example of something you want to accept that needs that needs to be accepted? A little, we can feel a little more self-conscious here. You benefit others when you speak. We're learning together how to hold these larger questions. Accept that everything that happens happens for a reason and it's perfect as it is. It was meant to happen. That's a big acceptance and yes indeed. No, that's 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 a to accept that there is a lawfulness to it in a certain way around conditions and how conditions come together to restate it in Buddhist terms a bit. Thank you. Someone else? 
that I can't accept that just yet. Yes. Yeah, no, there's things that you can't yet accept. And then you, you, you know that, I, that this, this needs attending to in that way, but it's still, you're brokenhearted and you can't accept, you know, the, the loss of, you, of, of the lover. And you're not, you're not ready yet. Uh, around death, there's, uh, uh, you, there's some way that you see you're still clinging, but you have to give it more time to be able to move with it. So yes, that's quite, quite, that can be quite wise. On the tail end of that, I, I accept that I can't accept that things are as they are right now and, and they're perfect as, are, as they are. I know I can't accept that yet. Uh, that, but I, I wouldn't, uh, I'm being a little fine-tuning here, but, but there's a construct that it, if that's not your construct, you don't have to use any construct for your own development. So you don't have to, even the Buddha says, for about even the way he teaches this, the Dhamma, you don't have to accept that. You don't have to, you don't have to hold on to any view. So uh, just to make that differentiation for you, because it may not, it may not resonate with you. It's, it's not a question of acceptance or not exactly. It just doesn't resonate for you. Now it might be because you get into that and you go, I just, I'm not ready to accept that yet or something. But giving yourself more credit, just be careful not to be reducing your own uh, intuition, your own heart, and so forth. So here, please. That was a lot. <laughs> um, I would like to accept my ex-husband's impact on my children and my mother. Mm, thank you for that. Thank you for the courage of that. And that's the heart's acceptance. That's a beautiful example of the heart. And as that acceptance will bring a freedom that whatever the impact is that uh, is challenging for you, it becomes less challenging for you. You have more resources. And lo and behold, when you change in family systems, as you would understand, everything changes. So one doesn't know. So beautiful example of how to do this. So um, here, the, the challenge is that uh, uh, on a, the most basic dharma level is that we can have a secret belief that happiness, our happiness, our sense of well-being, which I prefer to happiness as a word, as an understanding, is totally contingent on conditions. And the Buddhist teaching is that there is a well-being that is independent of conditions. And a little bit of that sense of well-being makes a huge difference. So, um, you know, it's not like you have to totally reside in that as an experience. But as you, as you accept what is, as you accept conditions, there comes a peace and a dignity that you can have to the moment. Because um, um, I've been in situations when I've been the odd person out a lot in my life for various reasons. Because... I just moved into life and lots of time I wasn't so well received by the situation I was moved into. But my acceptance that that's the way it was uh, really freed me from a great deal of suffering. And it actually built in me 
a way to to stay connected to myself. So I felt authentic to me, even in a situation where the group uh, was treating me as not welcome or something. I was nonetheless, I held my dignity, not in a struggle way, but by the very sincerity of my of my acceptance that people don't have to accept me. They don't have to welcome me in a situation. Do you see? And that's true for you. There's a characteristic of you that someone may not like. That's okay. That's their experience. You don't have to dance to their experience. That starts to be freedom. Do you see? You want to learn when uh, in relation to feedback, if, if uh, you're always interrupting them, you don't let them, they don't feel like they don't get their voice in your presence. That's a message. That's learning. That's not a, that's not a core rejection. That's kind of a feedback of negotiation of how to be a, a, a better related person. But in, when you're feeling any kind of uh, challenge, this being willing to be open that way. Um, uh, we can also uh, have it be a real challenge like around failing powers or uh, that we that we as we're aging or we're just dealing more and more with the kind of health issues or that um, that there's been past there's been past moments in our life when we've not been skillful and we're still holding that at arm's length because somehow it's, it seems like it will just die will just break apart if we accept oh I wasn't I wasn't skillful in that moment and yet the Buddha's teaching is just the opposite to own it to receive it but not to identify with it to meet it with uh, with uh, compassion and wisdom because in doing that we learn from it we establish a more clear value and therefore in other ways other times we won't cause harm because we've we've owned harm, and we know that harm is that nothing is worth causing harm, and so we become empowered by what we accept. It's a little subtle to first get, but I've seen this over and over and over and over again in all these decades. So uh, the 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 support comes from. Uh, uh, being again with like-minded people, uh, 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 having organizing yourself in a way that uh, you know you're practicing and you know that you are doing something courageous. And again, this is this is courage. This the, the French word for heart. It's courage. It's to to be willing to accept something. You're not you're not collapsing into it. You're, you're surrendering your resistance to what is. And it doesn't mean that you don't stop if it's an injustice in the world or an injustice in your family situation or with your significant other. It doesn't mean that you don't hold what you think is the proper thing and you don't act towards it, but you're accepting what is right now. This is what is. This person's like this. They're like this. They don't get me in this way. And I accept that. I will try to find ways to have them see me better. And I hope they'll be more interested in seeing me more fully. But maybe they won't. I accept that this is the way it is now. So this acceptance has many subtleties and forms. And um, this alone, 
This one question could have been the whole evening. The gain from this is a kind of equanimity. This willingness to be with what is. It's like this. It's like this. Um, uh, that is, uh, there comes equanimity with that. Ease. A kind of spontaneity becomes available because we're not freezing around what is. We're accepting what is. And then we respond as wisely as we can. Kindness can come from this as well as patience. You know, uh, Ram Dass recently died and I'll bring him into the room tonight. And uh, this is um, a quote from him. Uh, just a little thing to say. He, a one-liner is he, he one point said, suffering is part of our training program to become wise. So here we're going, another quote about the woods. Remembering that other quote because they weren't chosen by accident. When you go out into the woods and you look at trees, back to trees again, when you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all of these different trees. And some of them are bent, and some of them are straight, and some of them are evergreens, and some of them are whatever. And you look at the tree, and you allow it. And you look at the tree, and you allow it. You see why it is the way it is. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light, and so it turned that way. And you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. You appreciate the tree. The moment you get near humans, you lose all of that. (laughs) And you're constantly saying, you're to this and I'm to this. That judging mind comes in. And so I'm practicing turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just as they are. Power of acceptance in this way. In this last few minutes... I would uh, switch modes with you for a moment. And this is another practice that I've done uh, with a number of students over the years and where they choose a theme of cultivation for the year. So um, I actually was going to bring, and I somehow didn't bring it, an email of the person reporting their year, what the, what their last year had been, and what they were thinking about for this year. So, the year of staying present. This is my year of staying present. So, all year long, you're just going to work on staying present. This is my year of kindness. All year long, in every situation, you look, can I be more kind to the person near me? the person I'm encountering, or it may be kindness towards self or both. The year of forgiveness, where you are cultivating each moment, each time, even people that I, that I know are doing harm, I will not close my heart to them, even while I condemn the action. The year of saying yes to life. This is the year I'm going to, instead of holding back from life, I'm going to say yes. Not blindly, not stupidly, yes to everything, but yes to life itself. Yes to aliveness. Yes to vulnerability. Yes to caring. Yes to trying. Yes to accepting. Yes to letting go, and so forth. This is my year of yes. Uh, 
This is my year of opening the heart. In small ways, in the grocery store and and at the hardware store and on the highway, and in large ways with the difficult person at work, I'm going to open my heart. I will use all the Brahma Viharas, those of you who know the loving kindness, the metta, the the uh, compassion, the karuna, the mudita, the sympathetic joy, and uh, upeka, the, the equanimity. I'm using all of those Brahma Viharas, those heavenly abodes. Uh, those qualities are mine that are like like freedom. I'll use whatever I can. I'll use my mindfulness. I'll use intention. Anything I can in this year of opening my heart. So one more time of pause. If you, just as a trial run, like you're test driving an automobile. You're not buying it, you're test driving it. If you were going to step up for a year of something, what comes to mind right now? We're not going to do any answers out loud. But what comes to mind? And let that settle in your heart and let it settle in your belly. And your old coconut can figure out how to go about it. But let it reside in your heart and in your intuition and then the head center becomes a good helper it actually likes that better you're welcome to do this exercise we've done these reflections as a kind of practice and it's not unusual on a retreat the venerable Sumedho would often with the monastics give them a reflection give them a question so we're in we're in the tradition, the Theravadan tradition in doing this. You're welcome to do this with a friend. Just be very careful that you don't say, this is what I think you should let go of. <laughs> this is what you should be accepting. Don't get involved in uh, uh, taking away someone else's inner experience. And don't let them do that to you. It's great to do this with a friend. Trickier if you add another friend can be done, but the more people, the more it gets, uh, yeah, those insecurities can come out. And only do it with someone you trust. Not your frenemy. Not, not a very safe person to do that with. So a, a, a last minute here. Um, and uh, these, uh, uh, the, certain uh, practices that we do on retreat uh, in which we do as a kind of mantra. I add at the end of of each of those mantra phrases as best I am able. If you want to truly explore one of these questions and make it a life, make it this, or the year of, as you say what you're doing, add as best I am able. Misuse, you use that as an excuse to get off the fire of accountability, get off the, you know, the spotlight. But use wisely, it stops you from uh, getting defeated, getting restless, and so forth, as best I am able. And likewise, 
we tend to think, and even in meditation, we're sitting there, and rather than just meditating, we're sort of getting our mind right. We're, we're going to do this or that, and then we're going to be ready to meditate. Well, if my body wasn't sore, if I wasn't still thinking about that, then I could meditate. It'd be good. The teaching, the teaching, the teaching is start where you are, just as you are. We begin practice from where we are, not from who we think we should be or how we think we should be or what traits we possess. We start where we are. That's acceptance itself. That's surrender. And then um, I mentioned this uh, uh, earlier, but we're practicing practice. Our whole Vipassana is practicing practice. We're not practicing results. How can you possibly practice results? When you're practicing learning the piano, you're practicing scales, you're not practicing the result of the scales, you just practice, and the results come because you practiced. You can't start at the end. And that, of course you'd say, well, of course you can't do that playing the piano. But when you're dealing with yourself, do you have that much wisdom? Or do you get tired around yourself? Last thing. This is because of the kind of difficulty we've had that I'm offering this. It's called Bird Wings and it's by Rumi. Your grief for what you've lost lifts a mirror up to where you bravely working. Your grief for what you've lost lifts a mirror up to where you are bravely working. Expecting the worst You look, and instead, here's the joyful face you've been wanting to see. Expecting the worst, you look, and instead, here's the joyful face you've been wanting to see. Your hands open and closes, open and closes. If it were always a fist or always stretched open, you would be paralyzed. So going with life, the ups and downs, Pleasant and unpleasant. Your deepest presence is in every small contracting and expanding. The two is beautifully balanced and coordinated as bird wings. We say that the Dhamma flies on two wings. The wing of wisdom and the wing of compassion. That's a felt sense. That's not a head truth. That's a heart and intuitive knowing truth. It's a direct truth. It's the felt sense of how it is. Thank you so much for your attention this evening. It's been wonderful being with you. Really wonderful. I wish you a year in the Dhamma. I wish you a year of peace. Hold for you the possibility of your own possibility. Be careful driving out. Turn right. Don't try to cut back left. I was supposed to bring my schedule for all my retreats. I also do change and transition workshops. And I I was supposed to bring the whole schedule of all of those. And I, of course, forgot to bring them. I left them on the counter. So uh, if you're interested in how I work with people in changes and transitions or in my Dharma teachings. Go online and you can find both.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.